Hello. Before we get down to cinema, I would like to draw your attention to our Patreon. Regular listeners will know that these podcasts are supported by Quad, our home cinema in Derby, UK. But as Quad is a charity, we want to make Cinelet as self-sustainable as possible. So, to that end, we have set up a two-tier way in which you can support Cinelit. For our 35mm Cinefans, you'll get a bonus additional episode each month where we will be deep diving into an area of cinema that will be exclusive to Patreon subscribers for at least six months before it arrives like a late dinner guest on the regular feed. Plus, you get the episodes a week in advance of the main feed release. But if you want to support us and don't feel that pressing need to have the additional podcast each month, but still want that warm, satisfying feeling of being part of the Cinelit success story then you can become an 8mm Cinefan, where you can donate and get our heartfelt thanks. Head over to the Patreon page and subscribe if you can. However, we know that times are hard at the moment, so please do not feel you need to subscribe if you are not able. We'll still be putting out new, free-to-listen-to episodes on a regular basis throughout the year. Now let's get back to your regular scheduled broadcast. Welcome to a wildly speculative episode of Cinelit, as we continue our look at Hammer Films' greatest unmade films. In part one, we ended our time discussing the crazy combination of zeppelins and pterodactyls, and now we open the coffin lid on vampires, historical dramas, comic book heroines, and the giant monster movie. Enjoy. Okay, so let's move, let's move on from uh, zeppelins and pterodactyls. I guess, to to vampires. Hammer being the studio of Dracula, uh, we're constantly trying to um, inject more vampires and more Dracula into their schedules uh, as the years have gone by. And we get a run now of Dracula or vampire-centric focus films. Sure, sure. We start actually at the very beginning, as it were, because they in 1972 they had this idea they were going to make a biopic of sorts of Bram Stoker that they were going to call Victim of His Imagination. It's a great title, isn't it? Yeah. And um, this was, it was going to be a biopic, but it wasn't going to be, you know, your bog-standard biopic. It was going to include dramatizations of his famous stories, one of which, of course, was going to be Dracula. Yeah, and, and again, um, there's there's a there's a great poster design for this. There is in the um, the the House of Hammer book yes. of Lorimer, which which seems to depict strangely drawn sort of very yes. mannered sort of uh, sketches of these dreams. So we get an idea from the poster what we might have been in for in the movie. It's a fantastically striking poster. It's almost comic book style, isn't it? It's kind yeah. of very different to the sort of the, the Tom Chantrell style that we were used to. It's a really lovely poster. And I don't know at what point that poster was made, whether it was made at the beginning, but certainly the project came to them by a guy called Howard Brandy, who had been a producer on uh, Blood from the Mummies 2 in 1971. So he had some sort of track record with Hammer. And um, he'd got Don Houghton, who again has form with Hammer. You know, he'd been working on those uh, Dracula, modern-day Dracula films, Dracula AD 72 and so on. And he'd come up with this, this script, which was... By the sounds of it, it was going to finally give the actor manager, Henry Irving, his due. For a long time, you know, people have always talked about, you know, Vlad the Impaler, and we're going to come back to him in a little while, as being the sort of the, 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 the sort of the archetypal Dracula. But in fact, yeah, you know, Stoker did take some elements 
from Vlad the Impaler. He didn't really seem to know him terribly well. He didn't seem to realise that he hung out his victims on stakes, which you would have thought would have been an ideal little plot twist for his story. He didn't seem to know that much about it. He just liked the name. I think he took the name and the bloodthirstiness. The actual look and presence of Dracula came from um, Henry Irving, the actor-manager. And it looked like that this um, victim of his imagination was going to revolve more around Irving who was going to be uh, played by none other than Christopher Lee. Uh, he may well have been turning up as a gentleman in a cape with some fangs, you know, it was very <laughs> likely. And um, Shane Bryant was apparently on board to play Stoker. So he looked at, I mean, he seemed to go quite a long way. Michael Carreras, who was running Hammer at the time, he was really into this as a project. And we know that he went into pre-production, which is presumably where that poster came from, and then um, sadly faltered. There's a 29-page outline somewhere, so Houghton got his money's worth. He, he, he worked hard on that, but sadly, it never got made, and we never did find out what these nightmares were going to be that we saw in the poster. Yeah, you can, yeah. You can see why this would have had, had an appeal to Hammer, years of making Dracula films, and with the greatest respect in the world to those films, they are kind of like, not quite rinse and repeat, because we've, as we've talked about on these, but it's like, there's not much you can do beyond sure. that. It's like, villagers get terrified by Dracula, somebody involved in some way helps out, and they say the day, etc. It's his formula, yeah. And yeah, yeah. it's formula. So you can see why, after doing about four or five of those, they might be thinking, oh, this is, this is a really way of spicing that up and making uh, making it something more interesting and i think maybe as well you know if they're going to do a film about bram stoker about henry irving this would have seemed like more of a prestige project for them mm. they were never ashamed of their horror films of course they weren't it's, it was what made them what they were but i, I wonder if maybe by this point you know so carreras was thinking we should probably up our game a little bit here we've been doing this for decades now let's do something let's do something for the people who don't watch hammer films what could we yeah. do to get Although them you, to you come can, to us? You can well imagine, though, that had the film gone into production and been made and then was 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 being sold and put out on the circuit, that they, they'd have probably got Chantrell in to, to do a, oh, of course. A, an exploitation yeah. poster and it would have been sold to the, the, the regular Hammer crowd, I'm sure. Of course. But and they, the distribu- might, they might have had the best of both worlds there, though. They might have done. I'm sure the distributors wouldn't have sat still for a film called, you know, Victim of His Imagination. It would have been called Dracula, The True Story or something. You know, (laughs) they'd they'd have had to bring Dracula into it somewhere. But, you know, I think if if they were trying to do it as a a prestige project, I think they're on a hiding to nothing, to be honest, because by that time, Hammer was so entrenched in the minds of the public as being popular filmmakers, mainly of horror do, 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 do we think that um, if, if you look at Hands of the Ripper from the, the year before 1972, um, do, do we think that might have been a template for the way this might have looked, with the sort of tone of this? Because that that's that sort of mingling um, a supernatural a supernatural fiction story with yeah. elements of reality. That's and, right, yeah. Because yeah, you've got Jack the Ripper and Burke and Hare in there, and I wonder if that was a bit of a template for this. Very possibly, very possibly. I mean, if it had turned out half as good as Hands of the Ripper, it would have been a Hammer classic, wouldn't it? Let's be yeah, honest. Yeah. You know, and, Ripper and you is can, one of the best. So you, you, you can sort of see Eric Porter maybe in a role yes, victim yeah. of, his, of his imagination. And of course. Um, you can, yeah. you can see why it was one of the world's one was worried things where it's like yes yes it could have been the best of both worlds sure equally, it could have fallen between the two stools as well yeah. you know yeah, yeah. but it was a tricky sign- one yeah maybe that's why sign- they didn't sign- go sign- ahead sign- with it sorry i'm talking over you there but, you, but maybe that's why they didn't go ahead with it because they thought 
these could go, these could either be absolutely brilliant or it could be a complete disaster and ruinous. And maybe, you know, Carreras was quite a a sort of canny guy. He he liked to experiment, but I think he knew where the line was. Maybe this was a little bit too far over that line, perhaps a little bit too far out of the, out of the formula. Do you think it would have been in the same world as sort of like Gods and Monsters and Shadow of the Vampire, that kind of world? Uh, of real life and uh, Hammer's studio <laughs> impinging on each other. I think so. Yeah, I think we, we'd have been talking about it as sort of, you know, the, the, the sort of antecedents of those films now. In, in this parallel universe that we've talked about before, yeah. sort of, you know, unmade Hammer films that were made. Yes, I think, you know, there'd be Gods and Monsters would have come out and, you know, us, us nerdy horror fanboys would have been going, oh, yes, of course, Hammer did that years ago, you know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm intrigued, Kevin, by your information here about Christopher Lee because it's the suggestion that he would have played Henry Irving and then been seen as, as Dracula in some kind of dream sequence or fiction or something. And I understand it, yes, because um, Irving was meant to be the, the, the physical embodiment that Stoker was thinking of right. when he so wrote about make, Dracula. It would make sense to have Lee in a dual role then, and of course all audiences knew him. And we, Lee we may well have come Dracula back for anyway. that. You know, yes. Lee, Lee yeah. was really unhappy about playing Dracula. Yeah. He did yeah. a couple around this time, but he was really unhappy. But if, if you were doing a proper, and I'm doing air quotes here, you can't yeah. see, but a, a serious project yeah. about, a, a, yeah. you know, a famous writer and a famous, well-respected actor-manager, I don't think Lee would have said no to that. I yeah, think and he it, would have, it, would have, it would have been a rare chance for him, in fact, almost a unique chance for, for Lee to, to be able to say, Yes, yes, I'm in a Hammer film, but I'm playing Stoker's character. That's right, exactly. Which, and is, I think, which is what yeah. he always wanted to do. Of course, you know? exactly. Yeah, and kept yeah. banging on about for years. So. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> How dare he? <laughs> <laughs> But okay. yeah, he was, you know, he's happy to do that and you know, do two more Hammer films, around, um, Dracula films around this time, Dr- Dracula AD 1972 and Satanic Right to Dracula. But he was reaching the end of the, the line with the characters. So this would have been, I think, a way of sort of keeping keeping him on board. So we get we get after after this one we get back into more traditional Dracula style uh, projects, and we've got like three. One of which is potentially a joke. Uh, and the other two sound quite interesting. So yeah, so 1972, Dracula walks the night. As I understand this, this was a joke. <laughs> yeah. This was this was a gag. It was made up, I think, by Richard Clemenson of Little Shop of Horrors magazine. If you're listening to this and you're not reading Little Shop of Horrors magazine, you're definitely in the wrong place. Go out and buy all the back issues now. But um, as I understand it, he made this up many years ago as as an unmade Hammer project. There never was an unmade Hammer project called Dracula Walks the Night, as far as I can tell. It was was a spoof. It was a send-up, just to see how far a story like that would travel. You know, bearing in mind that this would have been done uh, pre-internet, in those yeah. those good old days that me and Daryl remember all too fondly oh, yes. of yeah. the fanzines yeah. and you know yeah. no internet we, we used to have to wait six months for the next issue of a fanzine to see what was coming out because they knew things that we didn't you know to, to put something out like that we'd have all gone oh wow Dracula walks the night and we wouldn't have thought twice about it <laughs> we yeah, would have yeah. thought this is a respectable source 
it yeah. must be well, happening. If, it, if it's Dick Clemenson saying it, you believe it. You, you know? believe yeah. it, don't you? Yeah. yeah. So, of course, um, the, in, the interesting thing here in the 2020s is, Dick, you, you just mentioned getting back issues of Little Shop of Horrors. <laughs> yeah. They're, they're now all available online. Of so, course they are, absolutely. Yeah, so now we can go back in, and find um, out more about Dracula yeah, Walks and Ice. So, Indeed, yeah, yeah. yes. So, um, so who, who would have thought that? But, uh, yeah, um, it's, so it's sort of sort of an April Fool type. Uh, yeah. Yeah, sort yeah. of a, a, a little spoof thing. Thing, just I think, to see how far it runs. I think there's a lot of those around, not just in Hammer, but you know, you go every April. I think you have to start yeah. looking for films that have been announced and start thinking, is that real? Is that really yeah, going to happen? Yeah. You know, I've, I've perpetrated one or two myself. So, oh, uh, yes, I know yeah. all about the one you perpetrated. <laughs> oh, yes, indeed, implicating my good name in that one. I seem to remember, <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. But, uh, but let's let's get on then to the the the, the real deal because we've got we've got two projects mooted for the mid 70s, both with wonderful titles mm. The Unquenchable Thirst of Dracula and then Carly Devil Bride of Dracula. Yes, I mean these were supposed to be both be set in um, India, yeah, and presumably they were they were done on the back of um, Legend of the Seven Golden Vampires. We saw Hammer go off to Hong Kong, and you know, not a great film, not a terribly successful film, but it maybe opened the door, thinking maybe we can go and visit all the former colonies and go and do yeah, you know some yeah. vampire films set there. And, and Hammer, um, Hammer were all about these production deals globally. Of at course, the time. they were working yep. in Hong Kong, working with German production companies, and just looking, again looking to keep afloat by um, yeah. sort of mixing and matching with uh, with international um, co-conspirators. And and you know what what bigger market is there than the Indian film market? Sure, sure. You know, which we, was then remains now absolutely huge, massive well, they, viable they were, film industry. They, their their own horror industry was beginning yeah. to thrive at this point as well. They were even making their own vampire films. They were indeed or soon after. Very heavily inspired, some of them by Hammer. So you know, it sure. kind of made sense that there, clearly there was an um, an audience in India for this. So if you can combine the two, the 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 um, audience in uh, the traditional areas like USA, Britain and Europe, and then bring in the Indian market as well. Mm. You can see why the temptation was there. And Anthony Hines, you know, is formerly associated with Hammer. He'd spent time in India after World War II. So, they, you know, he loved the country. So they, maybe his tales of the country wore off on them and they thought, yeah, this is a good place to go next after, after Hong Kong. Yeah, well, the, the, the first one of these, The Unquenchable Thirst of Dracula, did see... Uh, I was about to say light of day, but I guess audio light of day. Um, <laughs> the sound of day. Yeah. sound of day, yeah, the, the, the dawn of day, I guess. Um, he, uh, Mike Gattis uh, produced a radio adaptation of... Uh, That's right. Was it of yeah. the script well, or was it of the... Yes, it, it's, yes. Yeah, prior prior to that, um, Jonathan Rigby had staged it. Alar Stephen Shields' um, Zeppelin versus Pterodactyls. Jonathan had done a, a reading of the script. Yeah. Again, again on stage at Nottingham Broadway as part of uh, Stephen and Chris's um, Mayhem Festival. Yeah. So, so that was the first sort of incarnation of it, and then Mark took it up and uh, dramatised it for Radio Four. Yes, when I was Halloween 2017, I think it was. Yeah, and, and very, uh, yeah. very fine it is too. Very good it is, yeah. Michael, so. Sheen, Michael Sheen as Dracula, who yeah. maybe you can't quite see as a visual uh, count, but he's, sure. he's, but the voice. he's, he's, he's damn yeah. good on air, yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely, yeah, he's fantastic. Yeah, I mean, highly recommend that. That's possibly still around somewhere on the BBC. If you go look at uh, BBC yeah, Sounds, it's it possibly yeah. still out there. Yeah, and, uh, and, and um, I, you know... I 
I think all three of us would recommend it if, if, if you've not heard it, um, rather than us going into too much detail here. Um, just, you know, just it's, go and listen it's, to it. it's, it's one of the few titles that we're talking about on this podcast that you can actually experience. Indeed, yeah. yes. So you don't want to listen to us. Go and listen to Michael Sheen. That's far, <laughs> a far better prospect than listening to us rambling <laughs> on, isn't it? So, but, but yeah, there was also you know, this it, other one. There was also this other film, um, which you can't hear. Sadly, Carly, Devil Bride of Dracula. Yeah, yeah. Which now, um, now was was this was this inspired by the success of Carly as a character in um, Ray Harryhausen's? Almost certainly. Yeah, that's yeah. what I thought. When I saw the poster, I just thought, oh, that's that's Harryhausen, isn't it? Yeah, that's, uh, yeah. Uh, you kind of get the impression that throughout the sort of late 60s and early 70s, they were trying to keep the door open for Ray to come back, you know, because he'd yeah, done such yeah. great work on One Million Years BC. You kind of think that Hammer were thinking, maybe we can lure him back and do one more for us and do something else. So maybe they were going to do some sort of, you know, Carly-style stop-motion animation for the the, the monster. Um, maybe not. Who knows? Who knows? But um, but this one, this, this has got a strange history. They drive back to the very early 70s. It was originally going to be made after Scars of Dracula. And to be perfectly honest, as I think we probably rambled on quite a lot about in the Dracula episode, anything would have been a step up from Scars of Dracula. But um, so this, you know, this was supposed to have been made then, but it, it never happened. It got revived again in 1974. And by then, I think, you know, it's kind of pretty much all over for yeah. the Hammer style gothics. It was so, too late. So this, this would have preceded Unquenchable Thirst and Legend of the Seven Golden Vampires. It should have done. Yes, right, it should right. have done. And it should indeed. From what I can gather, he should have preceded all of the Dracula, uh, Hammer Draculas, because it was supposed to be some sort of origin story. We were going to meet a young okay. Van Helsing meeting a young Dracula for the first time. So um, how that would have worked, I don't know, because obviously we wouldn't have had Lee. I mean, Lee would, would have been gone by 1974. Anyway. There was no yeah. way he was going to play Dracula for them again. I'm not sure I could have watched a Van Helsing that wasn't Peter Cushing, frankly. I just think, you no, know... Well, Having um, having experienced um, a Frankenstein that wasn't Peter in horror of what? Frankenstein, you know we'd, yeah. we'd, be, we'd been there and seen that it didn't work. So. We'd been there and suffered. We didn't need to suffer again, did we? And so, I, I, I wonder if Ralph Bates may well have been cast in uh, in, in in the part of Van Helsing, or, or, or just, maybe at, maybe, um, maybe Shane Bryant or one of the other yeah, yeah, that yeah. were around. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I'm looking at the Cali Bride Devil Bride Dracula artwork, and uh, Peter Cushing is front and center on that one. Um, oh wow! Ah, well, the, well, the artwork just, is Chantel just doing. But the artwork would have been done sure. well in advance to yeah. try and flog the movie. He's like, "Oh, look, we can get Peter Cushing. Oh, by the yeah, way, did yeah. we not tell you that Peter's not interested? Oh, never mind. <laughs> we, we've got your money now. We're making the film. So, um, and it's yeah, a people, and he's too old to play the role. He's yeah. way too old. To play. And, and, they they and, might and have had a part yeah. for him. It's yeah. a kind of he's, like at the beginning yeah. doing a flashback thing, introducing you know, you know, oh, I well remember the days when I was a you know twenty something man, uh, and then yeah, sort yeah. of fading away to the the younger guy. But, uh, yes, a little sort of bookend thing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, it might well have come to the stage where, oh, unfortunately, Peter can't. Is it his agent would sort of say, unfortunately, Peter can't do this. He's off making this little thing called Star Wars. And, <laughs> yes, uh, and yes. everyone going, well, why? That's that sounds terrible. Why? Why? Yeah. Why, 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 why can't he? Why can't he come home to Hammer? You know, but uh, yes, again, alter, alternate universes. Because by the late seventies, yeah. clearly everybody wanted vampire movies, and no one was interested in space films and Flash Gordon <laughs> and all that nonsense. Why doesn't he come back where he belongs? Yeah, sure, quite. Sure. Uh, <laughs> cool. So we we we're moving on from that. We get another 
we get another vampire movie on the plate here that isn't a Dracula movie, but is another mm-hmm. very famous intellectual property vampire uh, of um, Vampirella. For yes. um creation in the 60s, I believe. Yeah, in, intellectual right. being the operative word, Adam. Uh, yeah. sure. but, <laughs> That's uh, what I yeah, think this, about whenever I see pictures of Vampirella. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so so this, was, this was Forrest J. Ackerman's uh, character, wasn't it? That's in, right, yeah from, yeah. from the Warren uh, comics in, in the States. And, the, and again, of course... Um, we we did eventually get a version of this in in we the nineties. Yes. Um, well, this version was supposed to be. It wasn't like Caroline Monroe sounded out for this. Yes, she was. Um, she she was. I mean, eventually they got Barbara Lee to dress up yeah. as Vampirella and go over to conventions in the states in costume, which I'm sure must have caused an absolute uproar, given that conventions that back then were much more male centric than they are today. So I think Barbara Lee walking around in that costume would have caused absolute mayhem. Him. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, it's a kind of it, nice symmetry that a Bond girl ended up playing Vampirella in the night. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. Right. yeah. yeah. It, it does seem that Caroline Munro uh, may well have turned this down because of the costumes and yes. because of potential yeah. Uh, yeah. nudity as well. Um, I've, I've seen you say, you, see, you say that, Daryl, though. Yeah. She's not wearing much more in Star Crash, though, is she? I guess not. It's, it's actually yeah. quite a similar look, isn't it? It is yeah. a very similar yeah. look. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So, but that was but maybe, that was that was the new sci-fi that Kevin's just mentioned. Yeah, yeah. So exactly. uh, that, that was yeah. that was acceptable, you know. But uh, that's what people wore in outer space. So of course, so, exactly. So the producers yes. told her. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Gravity plays havoc on full clothes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but um, but yeah, I've I've seen Valerie Leon's uh, name attached to this as well. Yes, and, that's and, right. Uh, yeah, I think she and Caroline, either of those, would have made a striking Pamperella. But they would have uh, been absolutely fantastic, either one yeah, of them. Yeah. yeah. And again, again, would as as this was an American character and sort of better known in America, what would would this again have been an attempt to? Hammer films were successful in in the states anyway, but would this have been an attempt to tap into? that American market, maybe more than the domestic market. Well, it's interesting because Christopher Wicking did write a script for it, and we know that exists because, again, we've mentioned before, Jonathan Rigby did actually do uh, a live reading of this Mm. in London in uh, 2019. Um, Caroline Munro was in that, not playing Vampirella. Vampirella was actually played by her daughter, Georgina Dugdale. uh, But Caroline was in it, and... We got lots of lots of people that we know from our social media contacts: Claire Louise Amis, James Swanson, Jason Morrell, who's the son of Andrew, who was, of course, you know, associated with Hammer. And so we do know what the script was going to be like because we've heard it produced. And my memory of it is that it wasn't particularly Americanized. The 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 property is obviously super well known in America, possibly better known in America than it was mm. here in the seventies. Um, but the script itself didn't strike me as being particularly Americanized. I mean, Peter oh. Cushing again was in the frame to play the leading character, so it looked like they were going to keep it very, very British, but with an American character. What was right. the what was the what was the storyline? Because obviously, the the original origin is more space vampire. Yeah, it is pretty, isn't it? Yeah, but they did keep to that. So she is a, a vampire from outer space who right. arrives on Earth, and there's all sorts of you know, conspiratorial backstories with secret government agencies and all the rest. So he's very, very different from what was Hammer were known for at that time. Mm. But that's exactly what they should have been doing. Yeah, yeah. You know, the Gothic was kind of, you know, it was done. It was over. It had a wonderful period. They, they needed to look for something like this. And 
I think it was about 1975, I think, when they first started working on this. So it's yeah, slightly yeah. too early for that science fiction boom. Yeah. You know, had they just waited a couple of years, I think they possibly would have got financing on the back of Star Wars. Mm. Because yeah, yeah. particularly it, on the back of Alien, perhaps. Yeah. It is the same year as uh, the Rocky Horror Picture Show, yes. the movie of the, the Richard O'Brien stage show. And um, I've read here and there that um, it's 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 sort of been compared to that um, in right. terms of its tone and, uh, it's and, jokey. and the, way, yeah. the way it might have played out. Yeah, It's jokier than you might expect from a Hammer film. You know, Hammer films always had their humour. Of course mm. they did. Some of them are very, very witty. Some are very yeah. funny. This one is much more jokey. But it's it's still done in a very serious style. It's not done in a, an overtly camp style. It's just done as a kind of we're taking it seriously, but we know how absurd this is. Yeah, that kind of approach. And with something like Vampirella, I think you have to understand that the the, the very basic notion of it is utterly absurd. If you try and do it with too much of a po face, you're you're going to crash and burn. It's just not going to happen. But I think you know from from what we saw on that live performance. I think it actually would have worked really well. I think Wicking really captured the essence of the character. He brought something new to the hammer table. And it's one of the, personally, it's one of my sort of most regretted ones that they didn't make. I think it could have been a huge amount of fun. Had they made it in 75, they'd have beaten Star Wars to the punch. And, yeah, you know, have yeah. this sort of outer space. She doesn't quite go into outer space, but there's, there is a bit of space travel, as I remember. So, um yeah, again, in that alternate universe, Star Wars is being constantly compared as a knockoff of this uh, this Hammer film that re- marked the resurgence <laughs> of Hammer. What a wonderful world that would be. Yeah, you might never have had Life Force either. If we've had well, yes, that's the other ob- obvious well, again, uh, touchstone, there, isn't it? There's, there's something that we can look at and say this this may well have resembled that you know now yeah. um, the the, the mid 90s version with the uh, talisa soto had um, a rogue vampire character called uh, vlad tepish <laughs> played played by uh, t e p i s h for for history fans they got it got it completely <laughs> wrong or did their variant on it played by roger daltrey yes. I, I, I think i think that that leads us in be, before we talk about the big one that we're going to we're going to yes. talk about to, to finish We'll skip over one and, and move yeah. on to um, the suggestion that Roger Daltrey's old mate and, and successful director on a couple of projects, Ken Russell, yes. was in the frame to direct. Again, the words we've already mentioned on, on, on the cast earlier on, Vlad the Impaler. And, was... and as, you, as you were saying, Kevin, it's odd, it's odd that Stoker never took the idea of Vlad the Impaler. I mean, Ham- Hammer's Dracula comes across as more Vlad the Impaler. Yeah. You know, it's... Uh, yeah. um, <laughs> yes. Yes, if there are stakes in sight, they're, they're aimed at him, not at They're, they're, they're stuck enemies, in Dracula, yes, yes, yes. exactly. But, yeah. um, so here, here was Ken Russell, potentially, or, or God knows how many other names might have been in the frame. Well, he was, um, he was originally mentioned in the trades as early as 1971. Yeah, yeah. With Mike Raven apparently up for... Uh, playing the, the part so uh, make of that what you will yeah, hammer yeah. fans will will either be recoiling in horror or rubbing their hands with glee yeah. at the thought of that now, but, now, uh, mike, mike raven is someone we need to do a full podcast on today, <laughs> for sure. but, uh, yes we'll leave be, it there for now but leave uh, it there yeah. for now yeah but yeah i mean <laughs> it's, it's 1971 it was first announced then it popped back up again again in 1974 74 75 was a busy time for all these films that they were announcing mm. it feels a little bit like them possibly thrashing around in their death throes 
that yeah. they knew the end was coming and they were just trying to find things. But it was around this point. They got people like Yul Brynner they were pursuing to play Vlad. They were after Alec Guinness and Adrienne Corrie for other roles. And, you know, the, as Daryl said, the big name was Ken Russell. He'd done The Devils. And this is what Hammer wanted. They wanted a film that looked like the devils. Yeah, and and by by the mid seventies, of course, what what Ken was actually making was was, was the, the projects with Roger Daltrey, things That's like right. Tommy and the Listomania. Listomania, both both of which have got their gothic aspect too. Well, Listomania so, uh, features a, a Frankenstein like well, monster, that, doesn't that, it? That, so, is, that is an all out horror film. It's got it is fires, absolutely. It's got Frankensteinian it is. creatures. Yeah. It's got Flash Gordon type spaceships. Yeah. It's got all exorcisms, all kinds of weird things going on. Exactly. So, uh, so yeah, he was yeah. right in the middle of yeah. Hammer territory at that yeah. point. And, he... and of course, if, if you look at Ken's subsequent career, look at look at Gothic in the mid eighties yeah. or Lair of the White Worm soon yeah. after that. Even even Crimes of Passion has got sort. Of, you can see that as being a sort of wild Ken Russell Ken Russell version of of a Hammer mini Hitchcock almost. Of course, you know? so, yeah, yeah, so yeah. Ken's Ken's very much in tune with the Gothic and with and with the Hammer psychological style. So well, uh, it's interesting you say that because he he wrote a letter when when he was approached to do it. Um, by Michael Carreras, he actually wrote back to Carreras this letter. This 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 will warm the heart of uh, of all Hammer um, and horror fans in general. He wrote back and said, "In your letter, you say you feel it's time the horror film became respectable. In my opinion, it always has been, and to my mind, Vlad is no exception. All the potentially sexy scenes are downright coy." What I have always felt is that most horror films rely on gratuitous sadism instead of spine-chilling invention. And once again, Vlad backs up my theory. The bloodbath at the end is as unnecessary as it is obnoxious. I would like to make a horror film with you. A real one. (laughs) Good on you, Ken. Excellent. That's what you want to hear. Splendid. (laughs) Yeah. Do you think Hammer could have handled Ken Russell at that time in their history? Who who could? Who could? They're in the death throes. They're they're, they're scrambling. And then you get a a character like Ken come on set. It could have been a disaster, really, because, you know, Hammer, I think at that point, was so desperate to keep going that they'd have just handed everything over to Ken and said, just do a Ken Russell film. And that's probably (laughs) not what Hammer fans would have wanted at that time, you know. Um, Now we look back on it and think, God, what a missed opportunity that was. That would have been awesome, wouldn't it? But at the time... You know, he was still the sort of you know the the bête noire of, of British cinema. He was yeah. you know, still yeah. seen as a sort of very dangerous, unpredictable individual who you never quite knew what he was going to come up with next. Which is exactly what Hammer needed, sure. precisely sure. what Hammer needed. But I don't know whether whether the timing was right or not. I don't know. It's um, yeah, it's, 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 yeah. a, it's a great what it's the greatest of all what ifs possibly. You know, it, it what, is, what if Ken Russell had worked for Hammer? It's the great lost Hammer film. Yeah, yeah. yeah but yeah. Um, I mean, Ken, Ken, of course, was a huge, huge personality at the time, and has remained so. You know, he's yeah. still look, looked on with great affection by fans. And, oh, of course. Um, uh, but maybe not the biggest 70s name associated with Hammer around this period in terms of unmade pictures, because <laughs> yeah. we, we're moving on, I think, to um, a figure who's maybe not as well remembered as Ken Russell, but who in the 70s was Mr. Showbiz, Mr. TV, Mr. Global Brit, jetting back and forward across the, uh, the Atlantic, Mr. David Frost. Oh, yes. Now, you need to tell me about this one, because this is one I don't know as much about. 
I thought he was going down a completely different. Yeah. Path. I <laughs> yeah, thought he was yeah. talking about the biggest the biggest star of the film 1970s, star. Yeah. Nessie. Yeah. Well, I, I am. We'll come I back am. to that. That character. Because, yeah, we're we're no, we're we're on Nessie. We're yeah, I know, I know, but I'm just saying. Because, uh, I thought he was describing. Oh, Nessie I, when you yes. Know, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, but, Nessie. Nessie. For one minute, I, I I apologize. I completely zoned out. I thought you meant David Frost was going to appear in a Hammer film. I I thought he'd never. I never connected it back with with no, Nessie, no. which came before. But yes, of well, course, he was involved what, what in the production we, of Nessie. Well, we're, 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 talk, we're talking about Nessie, and yes, we mean the Loch Ness monster. And yes, we Hammer were in talk to do a film about the Loch Ness monster. And again, yes, there's a poster for it. You can yes. see that online. Great it's a fantastic stuff. poster, and the name of. Uh, as he was known then, David Frost, he hadn't got the sir attached yes. at that point. David Frost is very, very prominent as a, a leading producer on, on the project. So, uh, so yeah. Nessie. Well, again, I think this was kind of seen as a kind of prestige project for them because they got a Frost on board who, like you say, was, you know, Mr. British Television in the yeah. 1970s. And they were chasing people like, I mean, get this for a, for a cast list. They were, these were just for the leading role. They want... They, Talks to apparently leading role of Richard, the, not the leading role. Of the leading, come on, you, you know what I'm talking about. Although, actually, bearing my leading role of Nessie, I'm going to read these names out and just picture that in your head and just see how far you get with this. Richard Burton. Wow. Richard yeah, Burton, yeah. he's Nessie. I mean, you can see it on the poster. I can, I can see that, yeah. Charlton Heston. They wanted Charlton Heston. They wow. wanted Ryan O'Neill, Richard Chamberlain, Michael Douglas, you know. They, this was seen as a big deal mm-hmm. for Hammer. It was going to be a big old... And, you know, they, they thought, we're going to make a monster film. We, we've got to talk to, you know, the king of the monster films. Who do we go to? They went to Japan. And when he's a co-production with Toho. Toho, yeah. Home big, of Godzilla. Big of, the, of the podcast, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. You, you know, where else would you go if you're going to make a giant monster movie, you know? Mm. And that's where they went. So it looked like it was going to be a, a prestigious project. They apparently got $7 million that they wanted to spend. The problem was it wasn't quite enough and they needed more. And they just couldn't find enough other backers toho we're going to put money in you know hammer we're going to put money in but as daryl has said hammer relied very heavily on co-productions mm. with other people what a lot of people don't seem to realize is that all the classic hammer films aren't actually entirely british they're british yeah. american because a lot of the money came from the the, the big studios um but by, by 1976 77 78 when this was around the Americans were pulling out or gone altogether by this stage. You know, their little British adventure was over. The British film industry was about to sort of not die. It didn't die. It just sort of fell on its knees a bit and took a little bit of time getting back up again. But, you know, that big boom period from the 50s to the, the 70s was drawn to a close. And there just wasn't the money to pull this off, which is such a shame because I don't know what they were planning to do about the monster, whether it's going to be stop motion. I would imagine it was. Yeah, again, again, it's, it's the uh, is the possibility there that Harry Housen might have been asked back on board, or yeah. maybe maybe Jim Danforth and Dave Allen. Exactly. I think Danforth and Allen were the sort of the the, the no disrespect to them because they're marvelous, but they were the sort of second tier animators, and they would have done it. They yeah, would definitely yeah. have done it. Whether they could have got Harry Housen, who was you know the undisputed king of all this stuff, whether they could have lured him back to do a Loch Ness monster film. Maybe, maybe. They'd never done a good Loch Ness monster film before or since, so maybe this was, you know, the way yeah, to sell feel, it. I do feel like with, with the, the movie I want of a Nessie movie, 
is never going to be made. No, no, no. The, 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 the world's moved on. No one's going to fund a giant monster movie about the Loch Ness monster anymore. And no, so and, and this one, they, in this one, they they didn't do well. weren't planning to do what I would have liked to have seen. I would like to see a Loch Ness monster film set in Loch Ness and around yes. Loch Ness. Yeah. In this one, um, apparently, this the dumping of a toxic chemical called Mutane Four. Now, when they name these chemicals, mm. do you not think that's a warning? You know, you've got this thing <laughs> called Mutane. Are we really going to put this in a lock where there's a monster? Really? I mean, you know, what do you think is going to happen? What's going to happen? Yeah. What's going to happen? And he gets free and he goes on the rampage. And, you know, presumably with Toho on board, he would have had to attack Tokyo at some point. It might well have attacked New York. You know, it would have been one of those world-travelling... You know, so things. I just want to see something small and creepy with something lurking beneath the lock. Yeah, we, we itself, want, what, you know? what we want is an Ealing Loch Ness movie, not not a not a big global <laughs> production. Although, no. although had they mutated by uh, poisoned whiskey. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that sounds great. You should work on that. Nessie Galore, Nessie Galore, yeah, Indeed, indeed. <laughs> brilliant, brilliant. But uh, I mean, had you know, had this gone global and gone multinational again, you know, I think Michael Anderson's name was attached to it. But again, right. wouldn't you have loved to see Ken Russell have a go at a Nessie movie? For, oh, please! Uh, Ken Russell just doing a giant can, monster film. Can, you know, can, can you imagine the phone calls between Ken and David Frost? <laughs> <laughs> oh God. Again, in that alternate universe, that happened, and someone bugged the phone, and there's a tape of it, and it's become, yeah. you know, this sort of pop culture legend. You yeah, know, it's these, still, these it's conversations. still being listened to on YouTube today yeah. <laughs> by, by, by people who don't even know who Ken Russell and David Frost are. Yes, yeah. oh, marvelous! But, um, How do we get to this parallel universe? It sounds a lot more yeah. fun well, than the one we're living yeah, in. That's so. what that's what that's what this whole podcast about, really. Indeed, but, indeed. Um, speaking of which, I, I gather that Chris Wicking is again attached to this one. As, yes, as indeed. Yes. Now, the mind boggles at that because the idea of a Nessie movie is great, but the idea of a Nessie movie written by the man who wrote <laughs> some of Hammer's most impenetrable yes. and still controversial among yep. fans to this day screenplays, just, just I really cannot comprehend what that might have been like. So what do we know about what Rick, what Wicking contributed to this? Very little that I can find. We know he was attached to it. We know he wrote an outline for it, which is where this whole mutane four being dumped in the lock nonsense came from. And presumably they they couldn't go too far, I wouldn't have thought, with the development without this extra money because they wouldn't have known what... You know, Chris Wicking could have come along with this thing where this, you know, it's a monster the size of London that sort of tramples the, the capital underfoot, the very first scene, and then goes on the rampage around the world. But if all they'd got was the seven million, which sounds like a lot, but really it isn't when you're doing a monster movie, you know, they'd have been lucky to have done the film that I wanted to see, which you just sat around Loch Ness, you know. Yeah, so yeah. I don't think they got terribly far into it because they were just waiting for the money, you know, it was really difficult. In the old days, they knew what they could make and they kind of knew what money they might get from people. So they could make a poster for yeah, something, yeah. for some vampire film, because they knew they could do it on the cheap. They knew they could do. They could cut corners. They know. They knew which corners to cut. This was pretty much new territory for them. You know, they'd never done anything quite like this before. So I think they had to be very careful about, you know, giving Christopher Wicking too much money and saying, "Go away, write a full screenplay," only for it to come back and say, "Sorry, Chris, we're going to have to cut all this stuff about Tokyo, mate. That's got to go because we're just going <laughs> to stay in Loch Ness." You know, it yeah, would have yeah. been too much of a risk, I think. Yeah, but but you know, we we've got the poster, which is fantastic, and we'll Indeed. always have the poster. Indeed, in yeah, fact, yeah, yeah. It, it was actually the first unmade Hammer film 
that I was aware of because mm. I remember seeing that poster in either World of Horror or House of Hammer magazines yeah, in yeah. the 70s. At, uh, at, they, the, they, at the time, that would at have, the time. This, this would have looked like a going concern. We, exactly. We'd have been reading that and thinking, of course, oh, yeah. Hammer are back. They're making Hammer a new back, film. Making monster know? movies. So, this is so great. It was, it was our first Hammer disappointment, really, when it didn't happen. Exactly. You know? Yeah, and then, of course, yeah. years later, you, you realise that it was, it was just one of many yeah, this, that never got made. This is the history, but, yeah, yeah. But at the time, now, it was um, the big one because we were there and we wanted it you know yes yeah and uh yeah it it would have been great but uh, now talking of having posters for things i uh, before before we go on to anything else i'd like to give a shout out to a good friend of quad and uh well known around derby in fact well known around the whole country um andrew thompson who uh, is an expert in uh, cult tv of the 60s and 70s Big, big Doctor Who fan involved in Doctor Who events at Quad, uh, as well as a lot of cult TV um, uh, stuff that's put on at the venue. And Andy, in recent years, has taken to doing these incredible sort of pastiche designs, which are all over the internet and which he rarely gets any credit for. Yes. Among them, he did a series a few years ago of fake Hammer movies, which are which are which which take the idea that Hammer was a company that made horror films on one hand and specialised on on in another strand in um, movies of TV sitcoms. Right. Yes. And Andrew has mashed all of these together and come up with these great posters, which you'll find if you look on on uh, on Google for things like Dracula on the buses, and uh, of course, <laughs> um, I mean Blake Blakey, Stephen Lewis in the On the Buses TV show was actually referred to as Dracula occasionally by Indeed he uh, was yes by by Reg Varney and uh, and Bob Grant. So so yeah, Dracula on the buses is is one of Andrew's fantasies. We've got um, we've got Quatermass, dear Quatermass. Mm-hmm. Um, Sykes and the Pit, <laughs> curse this house, mixing bless this house with with a, a marvelous house thing, and my favourite of all, taste the blood of Steptoe and Son. <laughs> I would have paid for any one of. I would have paid not only to see those. I would have probably found the money to have those made. Frankly, I, think I, so. I just I think scratched so. up so, enough uh, money to get them yeah. made. They so, sound marvelous. Uh, thanks, thanks to Andrew for again creating an entire. He's created a parallel universe to the parallel universe, which is extraordinary. You know? Which sounds but, even uh, better than our parallel universe, yeah, I think frankly. So. But, I think yeah. so. And, and if you want, to, if you want to check out his stuff, I can give you his web address because that's that's probably the best way of finding it. That's Andy Drew Z sixty four blogspot.com and some great stuff on there it's, it's brilliant yeah yeah and we, well, sapphire we and steel lollipops are particularly good yeah. well that that's that that was so good that it actually got reprinted <laughs> in in some a theater brochure i think didn't it as though it was a real thing so. it, was, it, was, um, it was infinity magazine i think oh it was yes yeah yeah, yeah. So uh, <laughs> fool um, them. <laughs> so yeah, there's there's a whole strand of you know we we're, we're talking about the Hammer films that never got made. Here's a whole strand of fake Hammer movies that were never going to be made, but, but we wish they had. Been. Wish they had. Absolutely right. Yes. Yes. And of course, you know, Kevin, what else have you got for us then? Well, you know, we've really only sort of scratched the surface here. We could have probably done an entire series of a dozen podcasts on all the the films that fell by the Hammer wayside. More recently, as we know, Hammer's come back and there have been all kinds of rumours swirling around. You know, Simon Oakes has, himself has actually said on a couple of occasions, yes, we're going to do a remake of The Abominable Snowman. We're going to do a remake of Captain Kronos, Vampire Hunter. God, I'd love that one. That'd mm. be good. And there's been all sorts of rumours about um, 
but they're trying to relaunch, if you'll pardon the pun, quite a mass in a new series of films or possibly even a television series. Who knows? Whether any of this stuff will ever actually happen, I don't know, but you're probably aware that recently, recently as we're recording this, um, Hammer signed up with Network DVD, a new a new deal where Network will not only get the back catalogue and you know sort of restore everything and bring out you know beautiful new copies of it, but they're also going to pay for production. So right. it is possible that we might see some of these coming out. Network is very much a nostalgia label, so they, you know, they're not particularly going to want things like you know. The, the Lodge, which I enjoyed a good film, but they're, yeah, they're not yeah. necessarily going to want that. They're going to want they're going to want a, a brand name. I would things, imagine they're going to want that, and, and, and they're going to want traditional Hammer. Exactly, yeah, they're yeah. going to want which, Gothic which, vampires, which, and they're going to want quite a mass. And would you? Which is I'll what we that. want. Yeah, yeah I'll yeah, have that. Yeah. I'll be happy with that. Yeah. And so, I've I've been at great pains with Adam over over various podcasts um, over the last couple of years to correct him whenever Adam has used the name Hammer Studio. <gasps> and I've always said, oh, I, I, and I have not used that. And, and, well, and, now you but, can. But, but now you can because the network deal means that they are now called Hammer Studios yep. <laughs> as of a few wow. months ago. So, yes, uh, indeed. So, yep. yeah, all, all of us sort of uh, die hard purists who've, who've been ticking people off <laughs> saying, we're, we're now silent. <laughs> so, you you yeah, say yeah. pedant, we say serious researcher. I mean, it's a yeah. very thin line, to be perfectly honest. I, I always yeah, say yeah. pedant when he's correcting me. So. <laughs> yeah, you, you, as it turns out, Adam, you were right all along. We, and of we, course, just, we just didn't know it. So. And of course, you know, Adam will be fine with Hammer Studios. I still find that really difficult to say, as I'm sure you do. Yeah, you yeah. will still bristle whenever you oh, hear oh, those I words will, used together, yeah. you know? And, uh, but I, I do hope... Well, I sort of do hope and don't hope for for different reasons that we see the words Hammer Studios emblazoned up on a big screen one day. Oh, yes, please. Yeah, yeah. Just just one more trip to the cinema would do me in my lifetime. That would be good just to see a Hammer film, you know, a a proper gothic. gothic. It might even yeah. be one of these projects revived. We might get yeah. victim of his imagination after all. Well, you know, with all the interest, you know, with, with your friends up there, with Jonathan down here and Mark doing their bits and pieces, it's shown there's a real interest mm. in those old films, those old scripts, and they clearly still work. Yeah. yeah. The scripts clearly still work. They might need a little bit of spit and polish here and there just to sort of, you know, knock off some of the edges that were sort of... As we know, the filmmaking landscape in the 1970s was very different to what it is today. So they might have to do a few little bits and pieces here and there, but I think they could revive them. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't bet against, I don't know whether this has happened or not, mm-hmm. but I wouldn't bet against Mark Gatiss having taken a couple of meetings to discuss maybe shooting yeah. unquenchable thirst of Dracula. I mean, if you're going to get if you're going to get one of the current crop of film writers, television writers, in to do a new Hammer film, Mark is your first stop, isn't he? He's your first yeah, go-to yeah. man, you know. So, um, so yeah, wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't I, that be I can, we can imagine. I can imagine behind closed doors, he may well have spoken to the BBC or Netflix or someone. Again, my fantasy that is, but who who knows? It wasn't it, wasn't it, he involved well in the new Dracula TV thing though. Yes, he, he was. was. Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah, that yeah. wasn't massively well received, from what I remember. 
It wasn't, but with the hammer name attached to it, yeah, if they're yeah. adapting a, an existing yes, script yeah. and not wandering too far from that, you know, he could yeah, do yeah. a very good job of it, I That's think. That's it. Ham, yeah. hammer, hammer still means a lot to yeah. a sizable audience. It does. And, and yeah. Mark knows that, and he's one of that audience as well. He's, so. he's a fan. You know, yeah. he's yeah. first and foremost. He's a fan, so he'd, he'd be respectful. And some point in the future, there's going to be this cataclysmic implosion, this ripple through time and space <laughs> where our parallel universe collapses in onto our world, and these films we're talking about are going to get made. I can feel it coming. It's going to happen. It's going well, to be given, given, sort of... given the state of the world in 2022, that can't happen <laughs> too soon. Oh, it feels like it's imploding already, doesn't it? <laughs> well, here's hoping for a 2029 Nessie release. Oh, yes, <laughs> oh, yes please. Oh, yes. yes. Oh, yeah. We've got to go for Di- that. Directed by the ghost of Ken Russell, please. <laughs> So we've, we've covered some of the key ones. Is there any any like small ones, TV shows or anything there's, like that you wanted to flag up before? Well, there's a lot of stuff and not even small ones. I mean, they were looking at doing book adaptations at one point. They were circling Rosemary's Baby at right. one point before it went off to Roman Polanski. Neither the sea nor the sand, they had rights to that. That got made yes, elsewhere. Yes, yeah. yeah. Picture of Dorian Gray, they wanted to do. And again, that makes sense. You know, they, they, they'd all, already done all those, you know, 30s and 40s classic horror characters. Let's do this one. There were some science fiction films they wanted to make. Disaster in Space, which was a proposed sequel to Moon Zero Two. I think we, do- <laughs> I think we dodged a space bullet there, didn't we? I mean, Disaster in Space kind of sums up Moon Zero Two in my mind. But there yeah, you go. They, they weren't going to call that Moon Zero Three then. And oh, good God. Have, no, yeah, have, have a totally different what yeah. happened to the first one. First yeah, one. Yeah. And there was something, a Jimmy Sangster script, which went by the wonderful title, The Goldfish Bowl in the Sun, which apparently was another science fiction film. Sounds um, like a was- Douglas Adams film. It does, doesn't it? It sounds more like a sort of, you know, a spin-off from Hitchhiker's Guide, but there were loads of horror titles. The Disciple, Murders at the Folly Berger, Vault of Blood, An Eye for an Eye, Dante's Inferno. Honestly, we could we could do a whole series just on the unmade Hammer films. I'm not sure how many people would still be listening to it in yeah. the third or fourth episode, but there were so many of them. It was just extraordinary. And, and, and another, another big, big what-if. Um, I think this was scuppered by the failure of of, uh, raise the Titanic, but there was <laughs> yeah. going to be there was going to be a second series of Hammer House of Horror. It was good, yeah. There was, I mean, that was announced very early as well. That was actually yes. announced in 1970, and it yeah. took them yeah. ten years to make it. But yes, there was going to be a Hammer House of. We'd had horror, mystery and suspense. There was going to be a third one. I can't remember what it was going to be called, but yes, they had plans to make a third one. But yeah, Race the Titanic killed ITC. They raised the Titanic, they sank ITC, and that was yeah, the end yeah, of, of yeah. that for, for Hammer. So, um, yeah, which is a shame. But there were other television um, adaptations. I'd already mentioned uh, the Dennis Weekly mm. thing, which sounded really intriguing. Mm. You know, And there was Horrors of Hammer which was going to be like each week would have a different monster. So you'd have Frankenstein, then Dracula, the Wolfman, whatever. That could have been great fun. And television, I guess, is an even harder thing to crack than cinema. Because with cinema, you know, certainly back in the 70s and before, you had lots of cinemas to show things in. Television, you know, back in the 70s, you had three channels. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, if if they didn't have room in the schedule, even for a behemoth like Hammer, Mm. then you were stuck. The BBC were never going to touch it. It would have been ITV. Yeah. You yeah. know, and maybe, maybe they, maybe they would, maybe they'd have gone for it, but it just didn't, didn't happen. So it's a shame. 
Never mind. Okay, Never well, mind. Let's, let's draw a line. Let's nail the uh, coffin lid shut again on these unmade Hammer films. Uh, thank you very much. Does this much, mean Kevin. I've got to come back from the parallel universe to our real world? Because I really don't want to do that. Can I just uh, stay here for a while? It's much nicer. In the fourth instalment of this series on Hammer, maybe we'll bring you back to the real, actual made films. Well, I'm, <laughs> so, I'm going to stay here for a while and watch Nessie because it's yeah, great. Yeah. So I'm going to stay here and watch Nessie. But so <laughs> I'll be back in the real world in time for the next one. That's <laughs> great. Thanks for joining us, Kevin. Always Thanks, a pleasure. Thanks, thank you. Okay, we'll be back in, a, in another couple of weeks with another great episode. Do check out our Facebook page and do drop us an email at podcast at darbyquad.co.uk if you've got any ideas of subject matters you would like us to explore and take a look at. Until then, take care and we'll see you soon. <laughs>